0: So Money, Episode 1296, Ask Farnoosh, The Cost of Climate Change, with guest, Georgia Lee Hussey, founder of Modernist Financial.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Charabi, and you're listening to Ask Farnoosh, our Friday episodes on So Money, dedicated to answering listener questions, audience questions. Today, we're dedicating the show to the theme of climate change and its impact on our money questions, specifically in the investing and real estate realms. And I've got the perfect guest to help us navigate, Georgia Lee Hussey. She's the founder of Modernist Financial, certified financial planner. She's been on the show many times. And I wanted Georgia on the show because she has four entire career been deeply invested in helping people with their financial decisions, always through this lens of consciousness. How can we make financial decisions that, yes, make us wealthy, but also make a positive impact in the world? We have questions from listeners about how to create an ESG portfolio, whether to buy flood insurance, even if you're not living in a flood prone area. Georgia Lee Hussey, founder of Modernist Financial, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Of course, I'm delighted
1: to be here, as always, Bernice.
0: I wanted to have you on, Georgia, because I feel like your approach to financial planning has always been to look at it through this lens of sustainability and social justice and uh, helping us make financial decisions that certainly address our bottom line, but also help to make the world a better place. So you're the perfect guest for this episode. We have a lot of questions related to sustainability, investing. Um, Tell us maybe first, what are some of the climate and money related conversations that you're having with your clients? What is top of mind right now? Yeah, we've
1: noticed a quite intensive uptick in the number of folks who are interested in ESG investing. Often they ask that question with a lack of clarity of what they even mean. And um, that is, I think, okay, no, exactly. I'm like, and the reason you don't know is because nobody really does right now. <laughs> there is not a a universally acknowledged third-party designation that we can point to, like LEED certification for a building or B Corp for a business like ours, that we can assume they're being held to some kind of universal standard when we use the term ESG. Um, But what I hear from folks is a deep desire to not allow the way that they move in the world be a source of exacerbating the issues that they're seeing in their community. If they have kids thinking about how their kids are going to be growing up, seeing how climate change is just, it just has gotten real the past couple of years. Um, And so I just, a lot of people are just asking, is it possible? Could I do it? Would it be reasonable? Um, what does it mean? Do I have to give anything up? You know, these are the kinds of questions I'm mostly getting.
0: ESG investing it stands for environmental, social, and governance investing. is a um, a type of investing that it has been around for many years, um, but more recently has been picking up in popularity. Um, and just so people know, this is a category of investing that tracks companies that are doing the work, the good work in supporting E, S and G, or sometimes just E or sometimes just S. And what began as maybe a thoughtful way to invest with your heart is now proving has the added benefit of being quite profitable. Is this a more reliable investment bet now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say I I can definitely um, align this with my own uh, career. So I started in the industry about 11 years ago. And at that time, I was very hesitant to offer ESG investment options because they were very expensive. They were um, primarily active strategies so they were; they tended to be a lot of high turnover, a lot of buying and selling, not a lot of support. That from evidence-based approach to investing, that was not how ESG investing was happening. And so, as I moved on in my career, the options got better and better. So now you can buy index-like ESG funds. So that takes care of the "I don't want to buy anybody a Maserati with my portfolio" question, right? Um, but we are still in the shadowy, what exactly do you mean when you say ESG land? Um, But as you say, there are, um, we can now look at data for longer periods of time. We have historical performance. I would say that um, one of the things we need to understand as investors in ESG, and I'm actually gonna just talk about E, because when you add S&G into this conversation, that we just have too many filters that are layered on top of each other. So we, for example, run a sustainability portfolio. It edits out some really, uh, some elements that nobody wants to be involved with, like certain kinds of munitions, child labor, et cetera. But its primary focus is greenhouse gas emissions, because we can track that. We can track that across all, across the whole market. And so when I look at those portfolios, Some quarters, they're kicking the index's ass. Other quarters, they're not doing as hot because we have filtered some of the positions out, right? And so thinking about benchmarking, we have to just, again, remember that as investors, we take a long frame. We take a long view. And so with ESG, that's even more important because unless you're an analyst who can say, oh, I'm missing exposure to this particular kind of gas pipeline company, and they just had a killer month or quarter. And so therefore, I'm missing those returns. We're not going to have that kind of sophistication. And so I think just sort of getting comfortable with, I'm going to outperform the S&P sometimes, I'm going to underperform the S&P sometimes. But over the long haul, we believe that companies that are considering their climate impact are going to do better over the long run.
0: Right, they'll adapt. What is the recommended approach though? Do you have, do you recommend the going all in approach to a sustainable portfolio? Can you do like 10%, half Cs?
1: Yes, I would say we are, we don't really do half. We don't do a little bit or pieces. We either do sustainability portfolios or we don't. Usually the reason we don't is because the person is underfunded. So, if they really, we are not sure they're going to be able to meet their goals, we may consider primarily doing a globally allocated, um, broader indexed portfolio because the data on those are mo- is more uh, robust. I can take, I have much better idea, a much better idea of projected returns and projected risk and volatility as it relates to their financial plan. We don't have a lot of those clients, to be honest. Um, I have a, I have some sort of grandmothered in clients who are in that category. Um, and we actually have, for a lot of those folks, sustainability portfolios as one of their goals in their financial plan. that They get to the point that they would be able to do that.
0: Is there a certain amount of money that is helpful to have in your portfolio before dedicating fully to a sustainable theme?
1: It really depends on your financial plan, right? If you want to spend a million dollars a year in retirement, you need a lot more money in your portfolio to be able to meet that goal. And you better be like shoveling cash into your investments, right? So um, I think it really depends on what are your goals, where are your assets now, and are you saving aggressively to be able to meet those goals if that is appropriate for you? you? Are you on track in terms of the financial plan that is your plan with your goals and your ability to save?
0: Right. So if you're just starting out or if you're playing some catch up with your retirement savings, then focusing on the broader market initially is a better way to go and then gradually moving over to a more sustainable portfolio.
1: So I would say it's more like you would start with a globally allocated portfolio. So you'd own, you know, there's 3,000 stocks in the US. You'd be aiming to own all 3,000 of them in some low-cost fund, international real estate, all the fun asset classes that make up a, an evidence-based portfolio. Um, but oftentimes with our folks, like I'm thinking like our angel fund or pro bono style clients, we're starting with a target date fund. And when they get to a portfolio that's more um, uh, verdant, then we're we're considering a more uh, sophisticated portfolio that might have more moving parts. And then as we see, oh yeah, they're meeting all their their funding goals, etc, then we'll think about is it a good time to reallocate to sustainability? Um, so it's it's much more about their their plan than it is the portfolio.
0: All right, let's head over to the mailbag. Georgia. Our first question is from Shannon and she says, how do you know which ESG funds are really impactful? So we've talked a little bit about the lack of a measuring stick that is the same measuring stick we're using against all of these companies and these funds. Um, That is not yet something that the financial services industry has access to, but That's not to say you just can't find out there are you have to sort of dig into it. And that's where people like you and and others can can be helpful.
1: It's um, I wish I had an easy answer for you, Shannon, and I sadly do not. But I think that there will be an easier answer over time. I the place I go to when I'm looking at people's portfolios that are not ours um, is MSCI. They're a nonprofit um, research organization, quite large, um, that you can put your fund name into um, a tool on their website, and it will tell you what the impact of that fund is and where it's in the green and where it's in the red in different categories. So I like that as a a shorthand. There are a lot of other tools out there that um, also are impactful, um, especially when you're looking at around specific topics. Um, Let's say you want to be, you're concerned about Indigenous rights and gas pipelines. Um, I believe there's actually a specific calculator that will sort of give you a sense of your your exposure in that area.
0: And this is where working with a financial planner like you, uh, working with your 401k plan provider, is immensely helpful in this mm-hmm. in this scenario. Well worth the time to invest working with a professional.
1: Right, and that's I think such a good point, Farnish, because. If you're a layperson, you're unlikely to have the skill to figure this out. Um, I wish that weren't the case, but investing is complicated. There's a reason why people go to school for years um, and have CFAs uh, to be able to make these kind of recommendations. But I do think, to your point, we can lean into the larger, low-cost DIY options out there. Vanguard has more ESG options than they did several years ago, and you could construct a pretty... Um, simple portfolio of U.S. international bonds um, with an ESG filter, that would be fine. Now, my question for you, for you, Shannon, is define impact. What do you mean? Um, And that's what a lot of these questions to me are about is uh, there's a lot of impactful or um, is it risky? And so and I'm like, well, it all comes back to your definition of risk, your definition of impact um and then applying that to the reality of the limitations of the market I'm, i i think we just need to be very comfortable with the fact that there's a lot of gray in this category and it's not likely going to get resolved soon
0: demand is picking up and calls for more transparency and the right ways to measure sustainability. Like you mentioned earlier, it's on the rise and it's only a matter of time before this becomes way easier and more efficient to participate in as an investor.
1: Yeah. What I'm excited about is that as the great wealth transfer is happening, which is basically older people are passing and they're tra- transferring their assets primarily to white people, generations below them. Um, those generations are demanding more options around ESG. And the changes that we have made have all come from consumers saying to Merrill and all these big companies, I'm sorry, you're, um, they're there, dear. You don't need to worry about it. Behavior around ESG investing is not acceptable. We want an answer and we, we want change. And so this is a great example of Put your money into ESG. It may not be perfect. Choose, you know, reputable companies to invest in. But um, the more asset flows there are into ESG, the more robust the infrastructure will be around making it something that they can compete against each other around. And that's where I think we have a lot of value. But I completely agree with um, the person you were talking about. I think banking, do you know the nine to one rule for banking? Oh my God, it's the best. So this is why we recommend our clients consider credit unions or B Corp banks, because for every dollar of, this is what um, my B Corp bank in town told me, for every dollar they have in deposits, they're able to loan out $9. So if as a company, I have, let's say $100,000 in savings that just sits there, they're able to go out and make $900,000 in loans. Now, My B-Court bank, 85% of their loans go to underrepresented founders and organizations. Um, Banks whose names might be um, initials WF put 0.0003% of theirs or whatever. Some very small amount um, of their overall deposits are leveraged into loans for folks who are not normally represented. So that's
0: a lot of power. I think that's going to be a fascinating story to watch and experience. Yeah. Next question is from Kristen, and she's wondering if it's too risky now that New York City is investing their pension funds, that New York City is investing its pension funds in renewable energy. Is that going to mean good news or bad news for those teachers and those who are participating in those pension funds?
1: Given the scale of the New York pension fund, I would be concerned if they're not investing in renewable energy. Because if we think about, let's just take household investing as a proxy for institutional investing. We have small allocations in our portfolios to um, high risk asset classes that are likely to perform higher in the future, have higher performance over the long term. Emerging markets and real estate are the easiest examples of this. Um, pension funds, when they, they have such large amounts of money that they need to deal with, they have more um, opportunity, but also really a mandate to make sure they're getting exposure to the future growth. So like when we invest in emerging markets, Brazil, Russia, India, China, we're investing in the growth of those economies in the future, um, same thing. That's what, what I see happening here. So I would be worried if they weren't doing that. Also, the other benefit is that institutional money has the potential to make small investments for them in new areas that can really turbocharge an industry and get cash into those industries so they can scale and become a better version of what coal has been for us or timber or whatever it might be.
0: Well, thanks for your question, Kristen. And Kristen's actually a friend and former Brooklyn neighbor. Hope you and the family are well. All right, RB Fast writes in and says, should I avoid buying real estate within 200 miles of the ocean? I just did a story on this on CNET. It's about the new calculus for home buying. And 200 miles seems pretty far off, but it really just depends.
1: Yeah, I would look at... Um, climate change modeling for any place that I was gonna buy. I would look at earthquake modeling. I would look at flood modeling. I would look at water access. Um, This is a big thing. It's one of the reasons I live in the Pacific Northwest is I'm likely to have access to water when I'm 60 um, or 70 or 80. And that's a big concern for me. So I think considering climate change and understanding the impact, when I hear somebody's, I mean, I don't like the beach. So that's, it's not really a relevant question for me personally. But um, the idea of of buying property in some place where basically the public is going to have to underwrite my ability to rebuild just feels not great for me. My next question is, what do we do about the people who are not buying a beach house there but live there and are workers there and when they become climate change refugees, which is already happening in Louisiana and the rural South? So.
0: Right. So who's looking after uh, those communities is a a very important question. A related question to this, Megster7685 says, um, is flood insurance worth the investment? I'm not living in a flood zone, but I'm worried. And I'll take a stab at this question first, um, because I have looked into this recently we our home is not technically in a flood zone but i think maps are outdated and if you live through the experience recently of hurricane ida in late august in this neighborhood and and you didn't get a flood in your basement you are very very lucky and i think it's only going to get uh, more difficult to avoid the wrath of flooding and so yeah flood insurance even if you're not technically in a flood zone worth looking into you are going to be the best assessor you know the history. You are the one who's going to make the best educated guess uh, based on what you're seeing as far as weather patterns in your area. Um, Now, having said that, there are some investments that you can make before investing in flood insurance or in conjunction with flood insurance, like installing a sub pump, which helps to drain water from your basement out of your home. You can clean debris out of your drains, gutters, downspouts. You can also move your furniture and rugs off the floor if you think there's gonna be a chance of flooding. Of course, sometimes it's flash flooding, so you don't have even a chance to do that. And that you can find more on this in my colleague Marcos Cabello's piece on CNET right now on how to prepare for the next storm, but you can apply for flood insurance. I'm learning through the National Flood Insurance Program, which is managed by FEMA. You can also purchase it through major national insurers. Maximum coverage is $250,000 for structures and $100,000 for personal property, according to Marcos's piece. Um, Your state may also have flood insurance protection. So yeah, definitely worth looking into if you've already experienced a flood in your home.
1: I would also say this is, brings up a great question about: Do you trust the business model of the insurance broker you're working with? Do you do you trust them to be a um, advisor to you about what you really need? Um, because looking at um, a bro- an insurance agent who is with one particular company and can't offer other policies to you means that they have one set of options. But if you're working with for example, a broker who can work with any company, they're going to see much larger data sets as well in terms of premiums and risk modeling. And so when I recommend insurance brokers to clients, I'm always looking at folks who can, who are, who are brokers and can see the broader world and are also have a fair amount of experience.
0: Really, really great point. Work with a broker if you can for more options. Last, Michelle has a question about wind and solar investments. She asks, are they worthwhile?
1: Yeah, I just I wonder what is What does this person mean by worthwhile? My follow up question would be, are you making tactical investments in individual stocks? Because you probably should stop. You can get lucky. And especially recently, people have the belief that they're really good investors really easy to believe you're a really good investor in a fast rising market. So generally, uh, you can get lucky and gamble and buy the right wind or solar stock. But generally, just buy an ESG-oriented and, and allocated index fund and you'll own some in there. Look at the funds that are available to you either through that robo-advisor or through your 401k. Make sure the um, cost internal fees of those funds are reasonable under 5.5%. I prefer under 0.3, if you can get there and um, do a little bit of research into what they mean by ESG. But if it's in your 401k, it's probably, it should have been vetted. And if it's at a, one of the larger robo um, or DIY custodians, it has very much been um, vetted. So I would recommend stick to what is easy. If you make it complicated, you're not investing in the right way. There's other places to make your life complicated that are more impactful.
0: And anyone can get started through their 401k, the robo-advisor, a financial planner.
1: Look at the funds that are available to you either through that robo-advisor or through your 401k. Make sure the um, cost internal fees of those funds are reasonable under 5.5%. I prefer under 0.3 if you can get there and um, do a little bit of research into what they mean by ESG. But if it's in your 401k, it's probably, it should have been vetted. And if it's at one of the larger robo um, or DIY custodians, it has very much been um, vetted, so I would recommend stick to what is easy. If you make it complicated, you're not investing in the right way. There's other places to make your life complicated that are more impactful.
0: <laughs> here, here, Georgia Lee Hessey, Thank you so much for spending time with us. You can learn more about Georgia at modernistfinancial.com and all of our coverage on the cost of climate at cnet.com. Thank you. I hope your weekend is so money.